0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Alexandra Karazi, MD, uh, author of The Heart of Fear, A Surgeon's Collection of Stories on Adversity, Passion, and Perseverance. Burnout is an all-time high among professionals. It has led to bare minimum Mondays and many professionals resigning from their positions. It has been worse with the acute job shortage in many professions and overwhelming workloads. How can professionals cope with the burnout? How can you overcome it? Through candid interviews with people in high-stress, high-risk occupations, Alexandra Karazi, MD, brings us a raw and honest exploration of the internal conflicts and fears shared by professionals in distinctly different yet surprisingly comparable fields, including medicine, skydiving, and stunt driving. She provides insight on navigating risk in the face of fear and offers techniques on how we can ultimately transcend the limiting beliefs that hold us back from achieving our goals. Dr. Karazi is a cardiothoracic surgeon based in California. Welcome to the show, Uh, Dr. Karazi. Nice to have you on today. Good morning, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Well, it seems to me, uh, you know, as I read uh, sort of your bio, I would say, uh, you have overcome many fears uh just being a physician a cardiothoracic surgeon i would assume involves a lot of overcoming fear in in this profession and then as well i read an article about you uh skydiving i don't you know that you are also someone who has or does participate in skydiving which those medicine skydiving i never saw as kind of going together, but I guess they do. Uh, So, okay. So where do we begin burnout? um, How does this relate to burnout among professionals overcoming fear?
1: Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, burnout is multifactorial and uh, there's a lot of things contributing to it. Um, And certainly there's a lot of external pressures and factors, especially uh, post-pandemic, but really, um, the book focuses more on uh, internal factors like what we can do within ourselves um, and it focuses more on um, internal shifts that we can we can work on to kind of combat um, combat burnout um, and kind of combat those external factors.
0: Right, well let's start with you. Uh, you know I like to get the personal story how do you I mean uh, how do you prevent burnout how do you just as a physician in this high-powered professional job that you have in medicine, uh, what happens to you? How do you prevent burnout?
1: I mean, I think, you know, um, it's always a work in progress, right? Like we all have good days and bad days. So for me to say that, you know, everything's perfect all the time wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be accurate, right? I mean, I think um, the big thing is I really work on uh, reframing um, often. So things that often uh, become routine for me um, or things that I think uh, almost kind of pile up. I just try to take a step back and say, you know, I don't have to do these things. I get to do these things, which is actually a technique that I I talk about in the book. Um, So that's just kind of one of the small things that we can do that they can really
0: create, um, I think, a big shift. Okay. You say get to do these things. You don't have to do them, but you get to do them. What do you mean by that?
1: So I think it's just a different way of looking at the same thing. Um, So I think often, you know, burnout uh, comes from feeling like we're powerless and like we um, don't want to be doing the things that we're doing. But I think uh, it's sort of like finding happiness within the current circumstance, which is not easy to do. I'm not saying that this is... This is a, a easy thing to do, but to really focus on that um, and to really try to find um, like peace and happiness within whatever situation that we're currently in, I think really gives us power back to that situation
0: and helps us better navigate it Is there a difference between let's say someone like yourself who's a surgeon um, has a high powered position and also people look at you it also is a very it's the kind of profession where uh, you are looked at and, a, you know, people look up to you. And so, you know, there's that piece of it, even though you're doing all this work and you can get really burned out or feel like you're burning out. Does that apply to people who are in, let's say, and I'm going to say more mundane jobs, jobs that uh, perhaps working in a factory or uh, doing things that are not regarded in the same way as a, a physician is? how do how do how do they navigate those waters in the same way you do? For sure. I think that that's um that's a really interesting point as well. And I think more so,
1: you know, um I think you know per uh, and to be honest, like um, people in those jobs probably have even more um, burnout than we do um because I think that there's more of a sense of routine. there's maybe not. Pressure in the sense that we know it or understand it, um, and it's a different type of work for sure. But I think that um, it's a lot of the same underlying uh, pressure to perform, pressure to have a certain you know amount of work done every day, pressure to come every day, um, you know, and just complete the same the same work day in day out uh, without you know being able to um, to take any time off. And I think that that's also a perfect setup. Um, for burnout. But I think uh, I think a lot of the same techniques would apply, you know, like I think um, it just would uh, be in a different context.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about during the pandemic, for instance, and I used to talk about it on the show when I was doing it during the pandemic in 2020, that it was important <clears throat> to keep up a certain routine. Maybe you couldn't do the same things that you usually do in terms of your per- professional work, but not to get routinized. And I think there's a difference between routine and routinized. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say as well, whatever the job is, whatever the profession is, if you become too routinized, it becomes boring, (laughs) but it also becomes, you know, there's not, you lose the passion for whatever you're doing. Um, So I, I, I don't know if that's something that you address in, in, your story, or in other people's stories that you, that you've talked to, um, routine versus routinization.
1: Oh, absolutely! And you know what? Like I've never heard it described that way, honestly. But um, I I absolutely understand uh, what you're saying, and I do touch on this because I think with routinization um, as, as you mean it, like we lose our power, right? Like we lose, we think that, um, we are sort of in a situation where kind of powerless against it. Um, and I think when it's our routine, you know, um, then we have the power and we have agency. And I think that makes a huge difference. And I actually touch on this at a few um, points in my book. Um, and in several points, a lot, um, or the people that I, I interview, they, they talk about, okay, well, in order to kind of combat all of these things and in order to be able to do this, in, all this internal work um, to uh, perform these jobs, um, that there has to be a passion, like an underlying driving um, passion. Otherwise, it's just not worth it. So I think it's, it's also um, having to constantly come back to, um, to why we're doing what we do. And that's and honestly, it's easy for anybody, I think, um, to, to lose track of that sometimes, especially with, you know, a lot of the external um, stuff that's, that's mounting um, uh, on us. But I think if we come back to kind of that soul contract that we have, right, <laughs> with why we did what we did in the first place, uh, I think that that definitely helps us get to that internal place of peace and kind of find happiness in that again.
0: I think it's necessary today. Uh, in, probably in all jobs and professions, we're finding that there is a shortage of manpower and woman power. People aren't getting back to their jobs, or they're not engaged, or they don't stay in a job, or uh, they're not connected to their work uh, in a certainly not in a passionate way. And that's a we're at a kind of crossroads. I don't know if it's a crossroads in um, in in our country anyway, where where. Uh, we can't seem to keep people connected to the work that they're doing in a positive way for, for them.
1: Yeah. um, I completely agree. I think uh, that's a big part of the problem. And I think a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of things that are being done um, in the corporate world to kind of combat that. Like there's, you could, you could see, like, if you walk into some of these places um, you can see that there's like, you know, coffee bars and, you know, free lunches and, and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, um, I, once again, those are external factors and those are, um, and I can commend, you know, all the attempts made to kind of um, combat, you know, stress within the workplace. Um, but at the end of the day, I think anything that that we do to really make us happy is already, it's within us, right? Uh, and that's, that's not my concept. I mean, I, I meditate uh, a great deal.
0: Do you meditate? <laughs> I, I always <laughs> you're putting me on the spot. I don't think. Like, yeah. In, I don't. Well, I don't want to say I don't meditate. I've always, and this is for years and years and years. I've always called it. I've, I go into the zone when I had. I have. They're grown now, but three boys. You know, two years apart. And then as a young mother, I could go nuts, crazy. But I would go into the zone and sort of not listen to all the noise. And I, I think I've extrapolated that way of. of Kind of when things are when I'm tense, being able to do that. I don't know if you call that meditation. Maybe it's a form of meditation. Yeah,
1: I think that's a form of meditation. And you know, I do that. I do a lot of that too, and I do some formal meditation. Um, and I think for me, just like what you described, kind of you know, tuning out all the external noise and kind of going and quieting, quieting everything down, and finding you know, just that um, like serene place within yourself, I think that that's going to be more important than anything we can get externally, um, you know, from, from our jobs or, and, and if we can find kind of achieve that within us, it sounds like you've been able to to do that over the years, but you know, then we can really, we can change jobs, we can lose jobs. And I think it will matter because we're at peace with ourselves and we can, we can, um, rebuild from there,
0: you know? Yeah, Why do you think people go, or at least sometimes the first thing they try to do is change the external? Is that easier? Even if it's not easy, rather than looking inward and taking a look at themselves. Is it because we're not aware that, hey, we can transcend some of this? We do have the power, as you've mentioned, to, to change ourselves and to change the situation internally. Because we tend to do the external we change job. Well, I think we were talking about that. You, you don't like this job. Well, I'm going to go to the next job. Well, you still bring yourself to the next job, whatever that is. And it, so then you go on to the next job because it's really not working out well. So I think that's part of the problem.
1: Yeah. And it, it's like that quote, and I didn't come up with this. I, I forget who said it, honestly, but it's like, no matter uh, where you go, there you are you know what I mean? Yes. So um, if you're (laughs) fully dependent on, you know, kind of these external things, then there's never going to be satisfaction, there's never going to be any happiness. And like, to answer your original question, I mean, the external factors are low hanging fruit, right? I mean, we think that, okay, if I get, um, you know, the car, or if I get the promotion, you know, I'll be happy. And to a certain extent, you know, that that's true for a short while, for like a few weeks to, you know, maybe a couple months. And that, that brings some level of satisfaction, some level of, okay, I've achieved this. This is more security. Um, but I think that you make it mean that. It doesn't actually mean that. Getting enough money to get a new car, getting a promotion doesn't actually mean that you're more secure. Like you could still lose your job tomorrow. You make it mean that because it's, easier for it to mean that um, because, like I said, it's like a low-hanging, um, like low-hanging fruit to kind of be able to achieve that. Um, but then going inside and, you know, being okay with things and you know, okay with yourself just as you are um, and being okay with things um, within you, that involves doing, you know, and this is kind of a loaded term, but like the shadow work, like, you know, the hard work and, and kind of sorting through why you know you may feel like you're always chasing after security, or why you may be having issues with a scarcity mindset, or and and that may include having to do like a deep dive into um, your mindset and why you think that. And I think that's a lot of hard work, and and it's uncomfortable. And you know, it, it's people um, I think will shy away from doing that, especially when there's sort of distractions of these, you know, kind of. External achievements that they can get and maybe tell themselves that that's a good substitute.
0: I think that's scary stuff For most people for many people and you do have to just dive into it Uh, but yeah, it's a lot many or most I I don't want to say most but uh, A lot of people find that really terrifying so they kind of push back all the time They don't want to do that because it will upset the apple cart things will change too dramatically So I don't want to go there Um, But let's get back to the title of the book, The Heart of Fear, A Surgeon's Collection of Stories on Adversity, Passion and Perseverance. You know, we've alluded to a lot of stories, but how about some specific stories that we can um, learn from in in, in the book?
1: Yeah, so um, the book is basically divided into um, two parts. So the first part is stories of of the doctors that I knew, um, and most of them actually are anonymous. Um, due to, you know, still kind of being active in the community. Um, Not all. Um, And then the second part is people in other um, high-risk lines of work, um, like a stunt driver um, and then a professional skydiver um, and then a professional stunt person, like people like that, that do also kind of high-pressure work um, and definitely high stakes and sort of the the difference in um, the mindsets And it's, It's sort of about, like, what we can learn from each other because I think, you know, that's sort of no matter um, where you are in life, like, I think that there's always more um, room to grow and I think we can always continue to to learn. Like, a lot of these people I've known for, for years and I learned something new about them when I kind of sat down and interviewed them, you know what I mean? Um, but <laughs> to answer your original question, um, like some of the stories that I found really um, amazing. So I, I interviewed Nicole Smith Ludvig, which is, um, she's a friend of mine, and um, we met through skydiving. Um, and she did the Burj Khalifa stunt, which is basically um, a stunt she did for the Emirates Airlines. And you can look it up on YouTube, but it's it's really amazing. She climbs up on top of the spire and she's standing she's standing on there and she's, you know, um, saying, Mom, I'm on the top of the world and <laughs> um and, and uh but her story is really remarkable because she actually was um in uh corporate America, right? And she was a pretty successful like sales executive and then she got into this terrible um car accident where she was in the hospital, she had a brain injury and she was in the hospital for um, a really long period of time. I think, a few, I think a few months, I I think, I, I don't, I don't want to miss, misspeak, but it's in the book. I think it's, I, I want to say it's a few months anyway. And then from there, instead of interpreting it to be, um, you know, like the sort of really tragic event in her life, which is as she's telling me the story, I'm going, Oh my God, you must've hit rock bottom. That's sounds, not- like, how did you feel at that point? And she's like, no, I didn't actually feel that way at all. I felt like I have a chance now. And, you know, she had kind of had this life path ahead of her where she was, like, moving towards what she calls, like, the retirement perspective. And then she um, said that this kind of woke her up to, is this really what I want to be doing? Or um, is do I want to just, you know, basically um, get rid of all of that and do what what it, I'm really passionate about. And that's what actually started her career as, you know, um, a skydiver. And ultimately she became like a stunt person um, and uh, like doing stunts like the one I I described. Um, And, and she's now like an instructor, um, like a skydiver, like she instructs like um, people how to skydive as well in her life. So I I think that that's just, um, I thought it was really amazing because she does a really great job of, you know, reframing like a really horrible situation Um and sort of something that really disrupted, you know, her life into something positive and then to kind of making using that as an opportunity to create the life that she wanted to live. So it's, it's very inspiring.
0: That is a very inspiring story. And that really is the extremes. I mean, she's a uh, has a job in corporate America, then the car accident trauma, and then she becomes a stunt woman and really takes on a pretty, I, you know, to me terrifying, but passionate line of work, I guess you would call it. So that, that's a great example. I mean, that it, it's uh But we all have the capacity to do that, I guess, is what you're saying. I mean, we don't necessarily have to be a skydiver or, you know, go to that extreme, but we do have that capacity. But do we need to have a crisis? Because it's interesting. I mean, she had a terrible crisis and was able to take a look at it and change her and transform herself, change and make different decisions. Do we need, do we always need a crisis to precipitate the change? Yeah,
1: I think just looking looking at patterns and kind of like looking at my own life. And I feel like some, usually um, something like precipitates um, any internal transformation we have, like usually, you know, um, but, but it doesn't, I don't think it has to be like a crisis necessarily. Um, I think it, it just ultimately has to be, dissatisfaction, um, with, with some aspect of our lives, like, you know, and, and, um, maybe like just a desire to want more, more, more out of life or a different kind of life, not necessarily more, but just saying that something's not right here. Right. Um, and what do I need to change? And a lot of people go, like we talked about, go outside for those changes. Like a lot of people, say maybe if I change it, you know, my job or, or something, but I think, you know, I think I make the argument that, you know, first, you know, doing, um, like going within, I think is, is the place to start with that and seeing like, what can I do differently? Um, and again, that's like, I think easier for, you know, people in, in with, like, I, I think anybody can do it. Right. But I think, um, to really kind of adopt that growth mindset of I don't know everything and I I'm always you know here to learn and what can I learn from from other people I think that that really helps
0: you know I, I think that's true the growth mindset that you're talking about and it, what comes to mind is in, in uh, sort of going along with that We're kind of it's it's good to be constantly I'm using the word monitoring. Um, And maybe that's not the exact word, but kind of monitoring what we're doing, not waiting for the crisis to happen. Be aware. Take a look at ourselves just on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be so dramatic. Uh, Maybe that's what I'm saying or or that's what you're saying. So just be aware of your dissatisfaction and sort of take ownership of it so that you can perhaps do something about it uh, without waiting for some catastrophic thing to happen to you. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think that's a good answer. I mean, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to, uh, obviously, I want to, the book is The Heart of Fear, A Surgeon's Collection of Stories on Adversity, Passion, and Perseverance, but um, Dr. Karazi, Alexandra, tell us where we can go to follow you in your work. Um, you're still, you're skydiving, right? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> uh, we follow, yeah, we can follow you there in your medical practice, uh, new books, whatever. Give us some more information.
1: Sure. So um, I'm on Instagram, Alexandra Karazi, MD, all one uh, word. And then um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Alexandra Karazi, um, same, same uh, name, that's K H A R A Z I. Um, my book, um, are on uh, Amazon, uh, so you can just uh, type in the hardest year and my name on, on Amazon. It'll it'll come up. There's an ebook version. There's a paperback version, uh, and then I'm. Uh, it's also available on the Barnes and Noble um, website as well. Uh, same same search techniques for the of year. Alexandra Karazi should come right up, uh, and then it is going to start to be available in some bookstores. Um, around the country, but uh, the best place to really find it is going to be online.
0: Great. It was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Alexander Karazi, MD, The Heart of Fear, a surgeon's collection of stories on adversity, passion, and perseverance. Um, Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.